All right, Jay, you there? I'm here. Hey, Rachel. Okay. Great. All right, everybody, this is Jay Barkley with me. And uh, Jay is a seasoned veteran of web development, web design. Um, and we've been friends for a while, and um, we've had good conversations uh, in various settings. And because of some of those conversations, Jay, I, I wanted to come to you and bring the topic that I've been talking about with some other people and uh, get your insights. Um, I was wondering if you would introduce yourself a little bit. Um, most everybody listening to this knows who you are and knows about you. And, sure. But let's just be thorough about it. Um, tell me a little bit about your background and what you're up to lately, and um, we'll yeah. take it from there. Yeah, sounds good, Mitchell. Again, thanks for the opportunity for setting this up. Uh, again, I uh, feel uh, both honored and a bit uh, nervous uh, following the other luminaries in our, uh, in our community, but, uh, but thanks, Mitchell. I think this podcast series, I think, is going to be great for a lot of folks. Um, just a little bit about myself. Yeah, my name is Jay Barclay. We actually have uh, two businesses, which uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into. Our main company is called EJ Design, which is our studio side, where we do the web design and development part of it. We've had that business for about the last seven years or so, uh, but in the last three years, we've had uh, Creative, which is, I think, probably what most of you uh, know us from, where we actually do a lot of training. Uh, both online live webinars that we've had for a while, both in beginner and advanced expression engine. Uh, for some, and this is another topic I think that would be interesting to get into, which is to offer uh, free services as, as sales leads, is that we've had a lot of uh, good feedback and uh, generated the uh, revenue from doing our introduction to expression engine, which actually was a free webinar. You know, that really started out as a kind of a community service, but uh, uh, later on again, we can talk about how that has led into some of our sales. Uh, but uh, going a little bit further back, I think I probably have had a more varied career than than some of us in the community. Uh, part of it is because I think you know we're uh, I think we're old enough. I, I you know I graduated '91, back when there really wasn't a web design. I remember uh, uh, you know getting our, our Colleagues getting, uh, I remember those Macs without a hard drive. Remember those, Mitchell? You know, those like <laughs> five, five inch Macs. We had, we had a, this college spent this huge money on a scanner, right? Now I'm going to stop because I'm going to date myself. You know, when we used to walk both uh, uphill both ways, right? But uh, me and my friends, I knew something was up because I, I always wanted to be a graphic designer since I was little. I have family members, aunts and aunts who are architects and designers. And, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I used to tell my wife, you know, when you know, little kids doodle, right? When they draw rockets and stuff. You know, I used to draw type. Can you believe that? Really? I used to, that yeah, I used to doodle? Little yeah. I like BMX bikes nine. all the time. I tell you, I think there was, uh, I think it's family because I have aunts who are, uh, uh, who ran a graphic design business in Ohio working for Johnson & Johnson and some of the other big corporations there. Uh, Dell was a huge client of them. So I think it was always in me, but uh, I knew something was up when we got a scanner. Me and my friends, we uh, we literally stayed up the whole night. We actually avoided the guards and stayed in the lab illegally <laughs> overnight and did what everyone else does. We uh, we scanned a dollar and uh, put our professor's heads on the... <laughs> So when web design came around, I said, this is it. I remember, you know, remember when the first photos from Louvre uh, that we could actually uh, uh, watch coming over the, the wires, right? Mm. And go for, I thought this was the most incredible thing in the world. So I actually dropped my graphic design career 
And like a lot of us back then, we self-taught ourselves. Uh, found out the wonderful world of uh, using tables to to figure our our layouts. And you know, coming from a print background, obviously we just couldn't make sense of this web thing. Where you know, we we're saying, you know, why can't I put my logo over there, right? And then you know, the, a couple of the seminal books came out about table-based design and and stuff. And uh, um, I had a huge break. You know, and for some of the younger listeners out there, you know, there's a lot of chance that you have to take. And let me, uh, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, my first career uh, in web design really started by uh, working uh, for a company called KS Design. This was back in uh, mid, uh, I guess, 96, 97. And the web design business was so early in its infancy that we were doing some huge works. I mean, I, I, our clients as a, like a 10-person company in, in 96, 97 were MIT, and we worked for Harvard, and we worked for a lot of companies in Boston. The company itself was in Boston. But our, you know, we actually did the corporate side for 3M, you know, which I think was like the third largest project back then in, in the country, huge you know, multi-million dollar projects. Um, you know, how I got that job is another quick story. And I like telling stories, and I like hearing other people's stories. That you know, That's when actually we had that storm of the century. And uh, uh, I was interning as an assistant to the dean because actually was, you know, if you remember, the job market was terrible and, you know, no one was hiring, especially in the graphic design side. I've been self-teaching web, this web thing. And uh, there was this, this storm that came about and actually I drove eight hours in the storm from upstate New York to Boston. When I got to Boston, there was nobody around because everything shut down. Well, the, the HR managers happened to come into the office just to make sure that to lock everything down. He saw me there and he's like, Jay, what are you doing here? There's a huge storm, and I said, "Well, I had this interview. I had to drive eight hours in, you know, in this this driving snow." And he he hired me on the spot right there. Because right. anyone who's gonna drive, uh, you know, through that storm, me, is worth hiring. I think I was pretty too young, probably, to know any to, better. To know any better, if I think about it, I think I was. I that's pretty crazy. Uh, I had this little mini toaster of a car um, that I saved up, uh, you know, working as an assistant to the dean. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes you have to take chances like that, right? Especially in these times where I know a lot of the graduates actually have a tough time getting a, getting a job. You have to do something a little bit different, a little bit more. Uh, well, do, you, bit do you fight as hard now as you used to? You know, actually, we fight as hard, if not harder. You know, I always, uh, you know, me being a, a current American, you know, we pride ourselves just like a lot of the other uh, folks out there in, in working hard, uh, being true to ourselves. And uh, working, outworking someone actually is sort of culturally ingrained in us, right? But I think we fight in different ways. Um, I think part of it has to do with, again, this is obviously one of the topics, is, is the, the changing uh, nature of our community, uh, which has some of us uh, worried, uh, I think, but some of us actually see it as an opportunity. Uh, so I think that's a good question, Mitchell. I think we just fight, but in different ways, right? We do things in a different way. What it does do, again, this is sometimes not always something that I enjoy. It's, it's getting uh, kicked out under curbs uh, from our normal pattern of doing things. So I, I, I like being comfortable. Uh, as much as I think I've taken more chances than, uh, than some of my friends or, or colleagues, um, that still doesn't mean that, that I don't like to stay in warm and cozy places. Sometimes things happen, and it just makes us do stuff. And only later when we look back, we go, oh, my God, that's the best thing I've done. 
right? Like driving in the snow. If I had to do it again, there's no way in in the world I would drive eight hours in a little toaster. And I think I, I you know, I was I think I almost sort of you know killed myself a couple of times driving through that snowstorm. But again, that sort of got uh, got this interactive thing thing started. So uh, just a couple of other stuff after that. Uh, um, I did something also that's a little bit contrary. Um, that's when the web boom hit, and all of my friends were, you know, being snapped up by a lot of the, the big, huge companies that was propping up, and uh, you know, razorfish of the world, um, and they were making two, three times I was making because I actually decided to go into teaching. So after being and being an interactive designer and UI and IA uh, person for about three or four years, working for some really amazing clients. Um, I, I said, wait a minute, you know, everyone's out working, then who's actually teaching the people who's going to, you know, become the junior designers of the world? And in fact, nobody. Everyone was busy getting scouted and changing jobs after every six months because the next job was going to pay better than the, the one that you had before. So I had this amazing chance to teach for two years. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's ironic because that really became the foundation of our creative business. If I didn't do that back then, I taught for three, uh, two and a half, almost three years at uh, Alfred University, which is our, in, in upstate New York. If I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have creative uh, right now in teaching Expression Engine. And uh, um, after that, um, again, another big turn, I, I got, um, uh, in fact, I was actually very lucky to be accepted into Yale um, to do graduate work. and. Contrary to a lot of my friends and, and family's recommendation, I actually turned it down and actually didn't go um, because I thought that I should go back into the workforce and uh, not stay in academia. So what I did was um, um, join uh, um, agency.com and that was another big break for me. And uh, I was in New York for a little bit, uh, but I was soon sent over to Korea um, and had to relearn the language again, reconnect with the culture. And I uh, became the co-creative director for the for new and exciting uh, agency.com Korea office. And uh, we did some really big projects here. Uh, there are two sort of uh, high-profile projects. And these are you know, huge projects with about 30 people in the entire team. Uh, there was a Korean, native Korean person who was the co-creative director for me. And uh, uh, we won the Amara Pacific account, which is kind of like the Estee Lauder. Of Korea, it's uh, it's the most prestigious and premium brand in cosmetics, and uh, we also won uh, by lo and behold uh, the Samsung.com Global account, which was the project of the year, and that was uh, the, the global rebranding of Samsung.com. This was early 2000, and I think we gave ourselves because we're competing with the top firms in Korea, and I think we gave ourselves maybe 10 percent chance of winning, and uh, we couldn't believe when we won it, but. Uh, you know, a lot of us put a heart and soul into it. The proposal itself uh, took three presentations, two of which were conducted in English, thank goodness, one which were conducted in Korean. I probably did a horrible job uh, trying to speak and present in two different languages. And uh, uh, I think the proposal itself, Mitchell, it was, I think, like 250 pages. It was crazy. The way that uh, the people do proposals here is that you basically give you know, half the house away. You do actually maybe three or four different comps, uh, and you do an entire IA, and you have to do that sort of work. Uh, I'm not sure how it is now, uh, because things here also have been changing very uh, quite a bit. But back then, we had to literally 
half build a site. Some of our competitors apparently build a prototype and trying to win the uptown. So we won it. Uh, uh, exciting project. Um, it's a crazy project that lasted about three months, but we're able to launch Samsung.com. About 70,000 plus pages across uh, 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 about three dozen countries and about uh, I don't know how many languages. That was a crazy project. Yeah. Three months? No, eight months. Eight months. Eight, eight months. Eight months, and then I think it took another year and a half just to deploy across the world. Yeah, okay. And uh, uh, and that actually got me out of the, the big agency, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's when you kind of reach the, the mountaintop of what you think you were going to get there, and you go there and you go, maybe that wasn't the mountaintop that I was looking for. You know, growing up, uh, wanting to be always a designer, always wanting to play, you know, uh, work on the largest of the projects and then you get there and you go, wait a minute, this is not quite what I want. Uh, we're working 80 hours a week. Um, your friends go, your social life goes. Uh, yeah. Made a great friends in the, you know, in the industry, but, uh, you know, this, that was enough. So I did my thing. I did my, I could say I did, you know, XYZ projects and then. So got back to New York and uh, worked for a number of smaller companies. And then uh, about seven years ago, uh, me and my wife decided to break out in our own. So that's when we started EJ Design. And that's when we learned Expression Engine, which we consider to be one of our lucky breaks. We were, uh, you know, we were working in Drupal, you know, Zoomlas of the world. But uh, just like a lot of folks, we just weren't completely uh, uh, satisfied with it. They're great platforms, but uh, it just wasn't a match for us. So. Uh, we actually stopped work for about three weeks or so. We actually kind of, you know, uh, stopped making any money uh, intentionally. Did an entire review of all the CMSs that's out there, and that's when we came across Expression Engine, and we fell in love with it. Uh, this was it. So we kind of, uh, uh, again, not knowing any better. Uh, again, if I look back, I'm not sure if I would take the same chance that I would now. But we actually stopped uh, uh, doing work in any other platform. We kind of threw uh, our entire sort of feature prospects really uh, in two platforms, uh, Expression Engine and kind of a fledgling e-commerce platform called Magento, which now just turned out to be uh, the largest e-commerce platform in the, in, the, in the world. So again, a lot of lot of lucky breaks. I think that's what I think uh, really helps is that when you take chances, breaks happen for you. Why are uh, you taking these chances? I mean, when it's yeah. not like you're, it's not like you're going out and and seeking these risk-taking opportunities, They're, you're describing a career where they have presented themselves to you, and then you um, you have some sort of a comportment to, toward them or a relationship toward risk that makes you go one way or the other. Sure. What's what's the deciding factor? I, I really do think that question bears on how we shape our companies uh, with respect to how they generate sales and leads and how we approach clients and how we shape the thing. Sure, it's, you know. It's a, it's a process of uh, approaching risk. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Michelle. And, you know, I think, because uh, uh, I have thought about that, you know, in a little chat before we began our talk here. You know, I think what it really comes down to is two things. Number one, you know, I'd love to say that, you know, that's my life philosophy. I love to take chances, blah, blah. I'm sure that a lot of folks like that, and I'm not. I'm not sure if I could count myself as one of those. I think part of it is fear. You know, fear of, of failing drives us to do stuff. And I think part of it is because, again, because education and especially design education is such a big part of my life, or has been, unexpectedly so, but it has been. Uh, 
where if you grew up as a designer, right, uh, whether it's a, a traditional graphic design or, or, or type design or typography or, or uh, in these days you can actually get a degree in interactive design, which is pretty amazing, but obviously the right is uh, direction to go. Uh, there's this, you know, natural sort of push against, you know, the traditional business practices and marketing practices. I knew I, I should have taken a business class, I never did. I should have taken a sales course, I never did. I should have taken a marketing class, I never did. I was going to be a designer and that's it. I think because of that, I think I'm, I was all sort of compensating for those. I think if I knew about the more traditional marketing and sales practices, I probably would have fell into it. But because I didn't, I didn't have that background, um, I, I, I needed to take some other sort of alternate revenues to generate business. That's not necessarily the more traditional ways of doing so. Now, obviously, I've met a lot of talented folks in marketing and sales where I learned and picked up a, a trick here or there and get to learn the concepts and see what it means to, to be proactive and, 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 and see what it means to, you know, quote unquote, craft the sales process. But to be honest, I don't think we're still really that comfortable in, in, in that process. We're just not, you know, we're just not there. Um, I think there are a lot of amazing things that we could take away from it, but because we don't have that background, we kind of naturally fell into the, some of these other revenues and sort of avenues and, and some of the other kind of roads that you could take, right? And I think that's what I did. Um, but part of it, I think, is being dumb. You have to be dumb to check chances. If you think too much, if you logically lay out all the pros and cons, uh, odds are that you're not going to take that chance. Uh, it's, it's able to uh, take the chance, quickly forget the rules that, that doesn't work out, just look for the next one. So I think it's part of it is that, if that makes sense. Well, um, you know, the times that I've taken significant risk or have talked to people I consider to be um, rational, not adrenaline junkie type people, they my experiences and the people I've talked to say they didn't feel like they had a choice. Oh. Some of the some of the greatest risks I've taken, I didn't feel like I had a choice, um, and it didn't feel like a risk. It just felt like sure. I, I have to do this. This sure. I, I, I got nothing else, you know. <laughs> That's, That's right. probably not true, but at the time it feels like that. Yeah, I think I, I think I could definitely uh, agree with that. I mean, driving through snow for eight hours uh, when everyone was staying away—that I felt like I didn't have a choice. It's like, of course, you have to do it because I, you know, I, I that was my chance uh, to get a job in the field that I want. Uh, it was my chance to be and not stay in New York uh, and go over to to. Although it's not, it wasn't a new country because I grew up here until I was twelve, but going back to Korea was a huge. I mean, I was it was a huge risk in a way. I was nervous the whole way. I didn't. I forgot the language. You know, I, and I had a tough time working with uh, you know uh, trying to art direct uh, people who I you know people in the United States in English. How am I going to do the same thing with you know five new art directors and I have to lead them in Korean? I mean, it's, it doesn't make sense, but you just have to do it because the alternative actually is something that you can't really consider. Um, so I definitely agree with you, Misha. Um, sometimes I think that the, the experience of risk, the, the, um, the visceral experience of um, facing down uh, you know, a, a failure that's coming your way, uh, and, and dealing with that risk is sort of part of the salary that we're paid. Oh. 
mm-hmm. as people who um, lead uh, companies, whether they be really small like ours or uh, you know midsize or much larger. I think that part of the um, part of the compensation is um, being more intimately connected with um, with the reality of uh, surviving. Um, it's not necessarily that I'm scrapping for food, but in, I, you know, I am scrapping for work on a monthly basis. Sure. Um, and that's just a fact, and it's been a fact for a decade. You know, um, it's not going away. That's part of the salary. Just wondering right. where next month's mortgage payment is coming from of course, of course. is part of the payment. And this is pretty much the kernel of what I'm doing with these interviews is I'm saying, all right, January 2013 rolls around, and I find that I'm asking the same question I've asked for a decade <laughs> every January. That's right. I'm asking, all right, That's things right. slowed down on the holidays, and now I've got to come all up right. with some money, you know, I've got to generate right. some work for my team. Now sure. what do I do? Sure. And I'm tired of being passive and waiting for the phone to ring. Thankfully, sure. it usually does. Sure. I want to talk to other people who go out there yeah. and um, – make rain who, who yeah. actually generate business yeah and i think that was one of the the, uh, the key topics i think that we both want to discuss here today and um, if i could take the experience of creative here um, i think that kind of tells us uh, a lot about uh, both in terms of taking a chance and also in terms of doing what comes naturally to you and really playing to your strengths now uh, you know, it's easy to say that, well, you know, make sure that you recognize what you're good at and, and do things that, you know, that comes naturally to you. But sometimes it, uh, we don't recognize what that really means until we had a chance to put that into practice. Uh, because it's, it sounds great in theory, but how is that in reality? You know, what am I good at? You know, what, what are the other talents uh, that I could sort of put forth out there and have that generate leads and revenues for us? And kind of stand out in the uh, in, in in this competitive world. And part of that for me was uh, this really a, almost a natural. Uh, well, first of all, again, that taking that chance, right, jumping in and doing something a little bit different when everyone was was getting that shiny new job out there uh, and literally earning three times as much as I was as a teacher, but no one was doing teaching back in early two thousand. I thought I had. A valuable lesson in, in how to teach, how to work, and back then, would I, you know, obviously, did I ever plan out years in ahead that somehow that I'll have an online teaching business? No, but you just saw kind of a shift, and you kind of saw kind of a place where you could leverage your situation, being a little bit of a contrarian, and uh, kind of trusting that it'll come back somehow, some way, some years down the line, down the line. And uh, because of that, uh, I was able to create the, the creative business. I mean, a lot of the credit goes to my wife, who actually kind of pushed me through it. You know, when she first suggested it, I go, why would I do that? You know, we are trying to get this business going as expression engine uh, experts. Uh, we have to compete. If we had any time, we have to do other stuff. We have to get the new project. We have to get that, you know, get the pipeline filled out. You know, why would I do this? And, and she said, well, you know, there's a talent in you. And it's something that a lot of other people, you know, have done before, and it might be worth it. So we, we discussed at length, and we, we opened it. And how that kind of contributed to our sales process is this, is that um, 
We do the introduction, uh, which we get anywhere from 30, 50, sometimes as many as 80 to 100 people joining us. And we never hear anything else about it from them, uh, from, from most of them. Uh, in fact, 90-odd plus percent of the people we never hear back. But, you know, we don't really care. If they knew, they find out something else about Expression Engine, that's great. If they go out and, and, and work on an EE project, that's great. If they happen to be part of the community, that's even better. If they happen to work with one of our colleagues or even our competitors, that's still good. But, we, but what, what ended up happening, although we didn't really think of it that way, is that uh, there was this sort of odd cycle that started to happen. And we kind of observed it. And again, I don't think we were that smart to know that this is what, we're, that this is what was going to happen. Uh, folks who are joining our introduction class would, you know, send some questions back and then we'll answer some of those other, you know, kind of email back and, you know, just kindly kind of uh, answer their questions. And some of them would actually naturally come back to us and say, hey, you know, uh, I like what you have to say. You know, did you, you know, do you also offer XY services? Boy, now you couldn't ask for a better sales lead, right? Because yeah. number one, you already have your trust. Number two, uh, you already gave kind of proves your expertise. Number three, they have a need. Number four, now they're the ones who's asking you for again, you know, for uh, expression engine help, or sometimes even consulting help. Um, and that has led into uh, a lot of different uh, business opportunities, whether it be a simple fixer upper type deals or redesigning the site, or uh, obviously. Um, well, you know, I mean, actually, we actually did the introduction work not to actually get business for the easy design part, but actually to get students for the beginning and advanced courses, right? We figure, you know, they hear me talk, maybe they like the presentation, maybe they like some of the stuff that I have to say about expression engine, just to, again, also to prove that, you know, I, I know something about this little thing called EE, and maybe they'll sign up for the beginning and advanced course. Well, that has happened. But I have to say, if we look back at the revenue, actually, we have got more revenue side of uh, uh, people who actually have listened to the intro and then uh, uh, asked for the EE uh, service type and design type uh, businesses. So, again, when we first started the studio, we would have never thought of this as a viable sales cycle. Uh, I could tell you that, you know, for those of us who are in the educational side of EE, uh, and there's just, you know, that's a handful, you know, that being right? Uh, there's Michael and there's Ryan, but Ryan has a full-time job. Uh, does Ryan have a part-time service gig? I don't think he does. Does he not sure? You know? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, so I right? I mean, you know, obviously he has a, uh, he's, has been a great contributor and, uh, uh, you know, he's still with Happy Pub, I believe. And, uh, but there's Michael, uh, you know, Michael Boyne, who's actually started uh, before I did. Uh, and we all kind of occupy a different side of the training. Michael does the traveling, this amazing traveling across the, the country, uh, in-person training. Uh, Ryan has his insider, and also Ryan does the, uh, has, uh, sells his videos through Mijinga. Uh, where we saw was a gap, uh, that there was actually no one was doing true online training, especially online uh, live training. Uh, all the things that we saw back then, about three, four years ago, were uh, screencasts. Uh, you make the video and you sell the video, or you do the video, you offer it for free, and then they kind of uh, access sales leads. Well, uh, we thought that was a gap, um, and we thought that we had a kind of a, a bit of a unique talent. Uh, 
not that you know, I'm, a, I'm a great teacher, but I, I like teaching. I like interacting with folks. Um, I like sharing the stuff that we learned. And so I thought we could kind of leverage that into this space. And it has worked out pretty well. And uh, we're very happy about it. So you have a you have got a you've got a one hour introduction to expression engine class for free. That's right. Yeah. And um, a lot of those people go away. They do. Yeah. Some it's, stick around. Vast majority. Yeah. I say ninety five plus people. I say ninety eight percent go away. So you never find them again. But but for those people who come back, you've made it easy for them, inexpensive, low time commitment, zero money commitment to sure. begin to develop a relationship with you. That's right. Yeah. So we've done that with Freeform for many years now. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, the very first add-on that we had ever installed was Freeform well, from yours. <laughs> that's the idea. Yeah. Um, and we did. I said, oh, my God, I can't believe this is free. That's what I thought. Give away yeah. something useful for free. That's um, right. Yeah. And, you know, no questions asked. Yeah. If, if you use it and it helps you and you walk away and I never hear from you again, then all right. But if you need some other solutions down the road, we have already begun to establish trust. Yeah. And you, you know, we're we're in the we're in the the mind of the people who will eventually have a problem of greater complexity that we might be able to help with. That's right. So this is something that hasn't come up yet. You know, talking to Matt, talking to Eric. Sure. We haven't talked about the importance of. Um, uh, entry points, you know, yeah. uh, really easy, low friction entry points to yeah. begin to establish a relationship and have an That's opportunity right. to develop trust. That's right. So this was accidental for you. Um, it is, yeah. When Absolutely. you guys thought about doing this, had you not had any experience before with how this type of um, a training um, offering could generate leads for for development and design work? Oh, none. None whatsoever. Um, when did again, you realize be, it? Yeah, we, it's something that we noticed that was happening. And something clicked. It's like, wait a minute. I think this is something that, although we didn't plan for it, it's one of those things that just happened um, for uh, you know, taking the, the, the road less traveled. In fact, actually, when I was in States, when, we, uh, when my father, uh, my stepdad and my mom got remarried, and that's how we came over to the United States. We actually lived in Gary, New Hampshire. That's uh, Robert Frost's home. You know that famous poem about the road less traveled, yeah. right? Yeah. And that that's there in New Hampshire. In fact, uh, that that house there and that road was only about like, ten minutes from our house. There's a lot to be said about doing that. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to feel pressured about you know doing something outlandish or or be different just for the sake of being different. Um, for everyone that I met through EECI, um, I think we all recognize who they are and the kind of work they do because we are all. And a little bit different, right? There's some stuff that we are naturally inclined, they're talented, that make us do something a little bit different than the other. Now, if there's a way, a hook and crook, whether it be you coming up with the idea on your own, if so, okay, congratulations, you're a genius. If it's our significant others pushing ourselves to go that way, which is not the case, that's actually, that's my case. Uh, or maybe an opportunity presents itself. If you could kind of, you know, take even the Google approach of setting aside maybe 20, 30% of your, of your work week and work on those seeding plans, right? Those, and some of that. And if you enjoy what you're doing, I, not that I knew it from the beginning, but we've seen it enough in the last 10 years or so 
that those usually work out pretty well. Like you do something that you enjoy, that you're naturally inclined to. You know, that seed may come around five years from now, ten years from now. For me, taking that teaching job ten years ago, you know, got the fruition, if you will, just in the last couple of years, and we had no idea, right? Things kind of intermingle in a really kind of odd but really strange ways. Now, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, our, you know our, what we offer in Expression Engine, um, you know, is anything that's easier. Uh, just like, you know, a lot of the other studios, uh, we still try to offer the best service out there. We still try to offer, uh, you know, the best uh, design services. We're trying to keep up with new technologies. But, you know, one thing that I noticed when I create something like EECI is just how talented everybody is. And it makes me mad. Like, you know, darn, I'm just so far off from these folks. I mean, Eric or, you know, the, the, you know, the team from Hippo or, you know, I could just, we could just spend an hour talking about all the amazing people that's in our community. I mean, we could not do what they do. So, you know that what you said about Mitchell, sometimes you don't have any other choice? Well, it, because we're not, you know, at that level of that really in-depth, uh, well, we, for example, we don't offer module building. We don't create modules. We have, uh, you know, no skill set in-house to create modules, nor are we interested in it. And I wish we could, but that's not what we do. So we are almost forced to do something that, that, that's within our own kind of talent pool, and we're four people in our company that we feel comfortable with, that we enjoy doing, uh, that we spread out enough seeds where hopefully you know, maybe 1%, 2%, would come back and, and lead to, to something else greater. So one of the things that's happening in, uh, in the interviews that I've done so far, and it's happening in this one too, is that... Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm approaching this whole thing with um, what I'm learning is a false premise. And the false premise is, oh, sure. um, hey, what happens if uh, work slows down and you need to generate right. some some, um, yeah. some new leads? You know, what if you, sure. what happens if you, you want to generate some more work? What do you sure. do? It's, sure. it's a false premise because all the conversations I've had are telling me that the sales cycle is the same thing as the company, which is to say the structure of the organization and the, 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 the very nature of the people uh, governing the organization is such that there's a continual sales process. So there's a continual process of growing the company and feeding the company. And in, in your case, what we're touching, is, touching on now is... Um, this sort of uh, ability that you probably hone over time of um, seeing and, and listening and being available to um, understand accident and take advantage of it. So you went into teaching and you didn't, you didn't know that it would lead to what you're doing now. Um, but a series of accidents brought that about. Sure. And you were such a person that you could seize upon those accidents and turn them into something. Sure. And that's a practice. That's yes. I'm gathering that that's something that you have continued to develop over time. Um, I heard similar things from Matt and Eric in the sense that the, the shape of their companies has developed over time to, um, to be good at a certain thing. And in your case, you're telling me that you're um, 
the accidents that have happened over time that have caused you to take risk and uh, sort of um, in, embrace some of those challenges as they come, you're you're good at adapting to those things. Sure. Um, so there's, it's it feels like it's again confirmed to me that it, you, you don't just go out and say, oh, I need to make some more money this month. Uh, let me go and shake a tree. It's much more of... Um, a continual process of refining yourself and your company so that you can uh, adapt and uh, be ready and um, move and shift as needed. Yeah, and uh, again, I think that's why being in the community, which I've, I've spent probably more time than I ever thought, uh, I always thought that being running an agency or being in an agency is a solo act. Not solo act as in terms of a freelance where you are a person on your own, but solo act meaning that it is your agency versus another. Now, isn't that ironic? Because you know, if you ever worked on, you know, uh, worked in a in a company that's an agency, and uh, I've worked for several, both the smallest of the boutique firms to the absolute largest. You know, agents that come at its height had three thousand people, and I was with the New York agency as well as the Korean agency. The Korean agency, when it started, we had fifty people to begin with, and we had no work, Mitchell. 50 people, no work, brand new agency, I had to go and drum up work in a half foreign language, right? Uh, so, you know, what that means is that taking a chance, sometimes you don't know that you're taking a chance, like we mentioned before. It's, 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 it's doing something that you're natu naturally inclined to. I think that's probably what, what uh, you've talked about in the past is, uh, if it comes naturally to you, and if you keep at it, then you know, not to be too general, but again, the seeds are are are, are bound to to sprout, and and after that, it then obviously it depends on your commitment and your professionalism and your ethics uh, to go ahead and, and and nurture that into a long term relationship. Well, how did you how did you get the business started? You had fifty people and no work. What? How did you? Answer that yeah, question. That's, I mean, how did you get it moving? Well, you know, that's actually an interesting story, and that's where the community comes in. Uh, doing and, and, and learning business in Korea is a very different thing than, than in the United States, and I think I have a, a kind of a unique perspective. Uh, being able to work at a, a fairly high level, as well as the on the, uh, on, on the smallest of our boutique levels in, in both, both countries. In Korea, especially if you're at that level, you are never getting the sales yourself. Um, it is not, and that's what I meant by, you know, it, it, it's not a solo endeavor. Um, it is always a team endeavor. And it's not a team endeavor like, hey, we, we got a team, let's go, gung-ho, let's create a, a, a great proposal. No, that, that's not how it works. The, how it works is that there are so many other factors that determine where you get the job and how you get the job that you are just part of the puzzle. Uh, you know, to put it nicely, uh, you're just a part of a cog. You're just, you know, uh, you're just part one of a, a hundred uh, portion sales cycle. And what that means is that in order to drum up that business, I knew that I had to know my role well and I need to know what I needed to do and that particular spot and perform. And not unlike being on a football team. You know, I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, we talked about that on the uh, I'm an NFL junkie, NBA junkie, watch you know, my, my favorite socks all the time. That's the Red Sox, not the Red Sox. And uh, uh, 
you know, everyone has a has a role to play. A quarterback has his role to play. If you're rushing, you know, a defensive end, you got a role to play. If you got a wide receiver, you have a different role to play. And that's what we have to do now. Now, so that I can't say that I went out and, and drummed up businesses for the fledgling agency of fifty people. However, when it was my turn to do my my job, I try to do it the best way that I can. But uh, now, how does that translate into drumming up business here? Well, I think it goes back to community. Is that you know sometimes like you feel like I'm sure you have some of those days, and I think all of us do. Like you're you're making your sales pitch, and you feel like your your feet are kind of stuck in the mud. You're trying to do stuff, and you're kind of moving really slow. Nothing's really going, and you go, okay, where did everybody go? You know, I just put out all these uh, proposals out there, where you're not getting any responses. Well, because I think usually there are other much, much bigger currents that are at play. That sometimes that we recognize what they are. Lots of times we don't know what they are. Uh, so that when you're not getting those responses, it's really easy to get you know uh, uh, feel down about it because it, you always feel like it's your job to quote unquote drum up business. But well, you know, based on my 15, 16 year experience, I know that I'm just a part of the the puzzle. <coughs> Excuse me, when things aren't going. There are other forces at play. That could be a time to step back and go, okay, what are the other kind of meta currents that are out there that's kind of swaying our business prospects? And that's, I think, where the interesting stuff lies. And um, I know for a fact that I can't find out all of those, you know, what the different factors are, what the currents are, you know, what other sort of, you know, uh, overriding uh, market conditions, uh, not in terms of just the, the, inter the interactive field as a whole, but even if you take it down to a smaller level in the exploration engine community, there are a lot of factors that are at play that's affecting all of us. And I think that's where I think community really helps in figuring out what those things are. Right? So, for example, like we had the, the whole brouhaha about expression engines, during that turn, you know, Leslie leaving and the uh, you know, pro network being all of a sudden gone. You know, there's communication issues. And um, obviously all of us in the community were concerned about what was happening. Uh, but, you know, it's something that we talked about in ECI, uh, and I think uh, um, you may remember this. Remember I said that there was actually a, a very small CMS award that, you know, uh, the people voting in, in, I think, thousands or even tens of thousands, but not like, you know, a whole lot of people, relatively speaking. Uh, Expression Engine was in the small business category. It was, I think it came in like fifth out of like ten. That's not good news, Right. What that means is that although we think that we're competing against Drupal, Zoomla, well, maybe maybe we're maybe we've got to go take a, a bigger step back. What are some of the other much larger forces at hand that's affecting all of us uh, in generating business? When we think that people are looking at you know my company's portfolio versus yours, maybe they're looking at some article somewhere that we none of us are aware of. That's only talks about, you know, other CMSs and expression engineers have been mentioned. And those folks would never even think about contacting us because expression engine hasn't entered their, their, their stream. And that's when I look back on my, quote unquote, enterprise level experience and go, okay, there are other factors out there. What can we do about it? Well, there are a lot of things that we can't do nothing about it. Uh, if those folks aren't, aren't, aren't getting expression engine into, you know, bringing that card onto the table, we're not there. I mean, you know, I, one of the first things I learned about getting constant work is to be 
part of the discussion, right? So if you're not part of the discussions, it's very tough. So I think that's a challenge for all of us in the community. I'm not sure what to do. Uh, I think it's great that we have a new CECI that's, uh, uh, that Brad's uh, putting together, and he's putting a lot of emphasis on business. And this podcast is awesome also to maybe touch upon that. Uh, and being a print designer, I remember AIGA, which is the, uh, uh, the, uh, one of the largest, if not the largest association uh, for graphic designers and anyone who's in that industry. They do an annual survey um, that kind of takes a pulse of the industry as a whole. Um, it does a salary thing, but it also does a analysis on, on uh, touching upon those meta general big currents, right? But we don't have that. I think partly it's because of scale. You know, none of us are, are are independent enough where we're not organized in that way. There's no association to join. There's no AIGA for UE. There isn't a certification program like Magento does. Um, it's kind of a unique, I think, group that we have. Um, it's great. Everyone's a super uh, ton of talent and ton of respect, but our community as a whole, I don't think it's at that level, maybe it'll never be at that level with the uh, with the size of it. But but I think without that, I don't know if any of us would be smart enough, knows enough people, can look back and and really understand what those other much larger currents are uh, that would again uh, affect everybody. Um, earlier in the talk, you you talked about um, back in the day how you you and your team uh, won uh, the Samsung contract. Yeah. And at some point you realized that, or, or you felt that it, it wasn't what you thought it would be. Right. Uh, the big fish was somehow um, not what you thought it would be now that you finally caught it. Right. Um, last week Eric talked about we spend a lot of time talking about risk and he spends a lot of his time um, shepherding his company through um, the risk of growth of growing too fast of getting you know getting too big too quickly uh, or getting seduced by um, growth opportunities or the the big fish as it were um, why wasn't why wasn't Samsung what you thought it would be? Um, and if and if it wasn't, what is the client profile that you like now? Um, and how does that shape your the process whereby you go about finding them and bidding on their projects? Uh, I see. Um, well, first of all, let's take the the Samsung experience there. Um, Remember that when I was with agents.com, I thought I was going to be an agency person until until I retired. Uh, and because I took the agency job after teaching, that I thought, all right, you know, I'm going to go and become now a big shot creative director, big shot art director in, in Chinese New York, and I'm going to do this project, I'm going to do that project, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, flex my design muscles. I, you know, hey, I was young. And ambitious, and you know you want that shiny line on your resume and your portfolio that says, "Hey, I'm you know Joe Smith." And in my portfolio, you could find Samsung.com, you can find 
rangerover.com, you can find, you know, pepsico.com, HBO, whatever, right? Uh, and that's what I wanted. So back then, I actually never thought that I would have a business, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought it's something that I couldn't do. Uh, in fact, uh, even getting the easy design off the ground was with a big push from a significant other. So I never thought that I'd actually be a quote-unquote small business owner. I never thought that I'd have an independent studio of our own. Actually, to be honest with you, the reason why I don't think I could have done that is because I don't think I could drum up business. I just don't think that it was in me. And I think that also has to do with education. And again, if I go back to teaching, it's something that I think I'd, I'd want to uh, structure my curriculum around, again, uh, and, and really educating my students and opening their eyes a little bit more about what it actually means uh, to be uh, a working professional out in the world. But, but, but anyway, so back then, that's why I thought, you know, when I won the Samsung.com project, it, I wasn't viewing it as a business opportunity and, and certainly not in terms that Eric's talking about, right? Uh, but the reason why I thought that the big fish wasn't what I all what I thought it was is that after the site launched, I look back and there was this amazing feeling of emptiness. Um, and like I think we all get a little bit sort of oddly depressed when a big site launches. There's that you know that sense of 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 uh, I I can't call it anything else but a bit, bit of sort of a, this empty feeling, right? Yeah. Well, that was pretty big, um, and I saw my art directors go through hell. Uh, Amazing client. It's just the work was really hard. I mean, it's just a huge challenge. It just really pushes everyone to be their best. But you know what happens if you if you try to be at your best for months at a time? It's really, really draining. And I I climbed it and I said I looked at some of the other big mountains out there. I go, is it going to be worth it for me to spend this much effort to climb the same thing, or is it just going to be another? line on my resume that says, okay, I did Samsung.com and now I also did blah, blah.com. Is that worth it? I wasn't really sure. And also, you know, working that big means that you have to plan out. This, I think, is a little bit more relevant to the conversation. Uh, if you work at that level, what happens is that you get to do very little of what you thought you were good at. In fact, you get to do very little of what you thought you did well to get there in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes uh, total sense. Yeah. I did zero design hands-on. Now, I don't think I've ever said that anywhere, but that's total true. As I had five of the most talented art directors under me, and, and I was there obviously directing. I was there choosing, but uh, uh, choosing out of maybe 20 concepts, you know, what three, and this was my level of creativity, right? Uh, obviously working with them, giving my input, but these folks were so talented that they were just pumping out amazing uh, clumps every day. And I just we just picked uh, uh, the ones that would be to be presented. And obviously the powers that be, uh, the VPs of marketing, presidents of blah, blah, they, they actually made obviously the final choices. So I felt like more like a middle person uh, than an actual creative. And uh, uh, so you, I got to do a lot more uh, management. Uh, I got to, uh, well, I found out that I was terrible at project management back then. That's what I found out, is I, I had an amazing project manager, and he taught me everything that I know. But at first, I really struggled. Uh, you know, project managing at that level is a whole lot of the ball of game. Uh, it's, it was very, very difficult for me, and uh, I learned a lot. But uh, I said, you know, in order to do another project like this, I'm going to perform my same role probably better because I know what to go, you know, what to do now. 
but is that going to you know what is that going to to add? Uh, uh, and back then, I wasn't thinking long term in terms of my business growth. I was thinking in terms of professional satisfaction. Right? How much satisfaction do I get by working on this project? Because I'm getting the same salary, uh, no matter what. So how happy was I going to be? You know, how creatively satisfied was I going to be? Those were the questions that I posed myself back then. And to do another Samsung.com or something like that, yeah, it wasn't really it. So that's that answer uh, right there about getting the big fish. So this is a little bit different, I think, than Eric, where you have your own company and trying to go with the big process and then growing your company too fast uh, and some of the risks uh, that are involved with it. And what was the other one, Mitra? Uh, I think, yeah, I think yeah, you had another good question. Uh, no, that really was, that's what I wanted to focus on. Um, it, the, the other part of the question was, and you've already answered it, was if it's not Samsung, then what, you know, what's your client? Okay. What's your ideal client? Okay. Well, um, and I think you answered it. It sounded like you're saying your ideal client is the one where you um, get to do the work and um, not burn yourself out, have a life, and be proud of the work, and craft it, and um, and really serve the client well. Yeah, I think I think that's it, Mitchell, and uh, that's who we serve uh, uh, mostly. Uh, we work with a number of great uh, small businesses. Uh, also startups, uh, but I think our sort of, uh, uh, I think we, uh, we we hit for the highest average and we throw the most touchdowns when we work for uh, small businesses. Um, uh, it's something that we've noticed, I'm not sure you have, uh, Mitchell, but uh, I think the part of the growth and expression agent also means that unfortunately there's some work that's out there that's just, there's not, that's not done as well. And to be frank, I think there are some clients out there who who did not get the service and the expertise that they thought they were paying for. And I think when we get to meet some of those clients, um, obviously uh, we can go ahead and fix what hasn't been done, uh, that as well. And obviously then the client appreciates it a little bit more and we become a little bit more indispensable. And that's another word that I think we try to keep in mind is to be, okay, what can we do to not just to do a good job for that person, but what can we do to make us be totally indispensable for them to say, okay, to in order to continue with our business, we have to have these people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real challenge. And that's very difficult to do. I don't think we do it, you know, uh, one-tenth of, of the times that we want uh, our clients to say that, but but if, if we had a goal, maybe that's it, is to have a, uh, a client who appreciates good help when they see it. Uh, I think part of the thing that we do really well and that we really focused on, and if you have someone say, hey, Gino Jay, what does EJ Design do better than maybe some of the other folks? Well, you know, we don't know what some of those other folks are. Uh, the people in EECI are all terrific uh, folks. I, I, we can't do that level of uh, you know comparison, but... Uh, if we look at some of the other uh, experiences and some of the other clients and what they tell us is that we also put a lot of emphasis on communication and, and project management, ironically. Uh, and especially communication, I think, is, is hugely important. Uh, setting the right expectations, uh, not only doing the job well, but telling them in advance when you're going to do it, when you're going to finish it, when they can expect it. And this has to do with not just you know, designing, uh, scheduling, 
but also day-to-day, -day, even things like, you know, there's a tiny little thing. Let me give you a quick, very, very small example. Uh, if you're setting up for a meeting, repeat the date and time in both time zones at least three times. Yeah. And yeah. there are a lot of folks who don't do it. And even if the client says, oh, yeah, I got it. I have it on my schedule. When you reply back, you go, thanks very much for replying back, just to make sure you have, uh, we have confirmed this, this day, in both time zones, ET, MT, at XXPN, and when there, someone says, oh, yeah, I got it, thanks very much, and, you know, they, uh, uh, hey, should I bring a headset? You go, yes, and you reply back, and if you haven't done it, you do the same thing. It's those little tiny details, I think, make a huge difference, and when they don't see it from other folks, they appreciate it. They go, hey, you know, you guys really did a great job. And when they say great job, again, this has to do with some of the other factors and what makes us indispensable. It's only part of it is our expertise in expression engine. Only part of it is our design skills. I, we understand that there are tons more out there who have better coding skills than we do. There are a lot of talented designers who have much more beautiful designs than we do. But we think we try to put uh, our best foot forward, put communication uh, first, put project management first. Uh, and uh, you know, if I could help them, maybe you know, do a, a call like this. I and mean, sometimes we, we get a chance to talk about other businesses, and maybe some of my, my, my educational background comes up again, and we try to take a more consultative approach. I think that also helps. Matt and Eric confirmed um, this part of the conversation, too, that the process was uh, critically important to their organizations. And, it, and on our topic, process was a major driver for new business coming in, in particular, um, having a strong sense of uh, process and communication and relationship to retain the client. They're your best source of new business mm, sure. because they have new projects and you already know them. You don't have to do a sales and trust cycle with them. The, oh, the, yeah. You've already won them. You just want to be part of their future problems. Sure. And um, I mean, I, I am sometimes a client of other vendors and, you know, to have design stuff done for soul space. And, um, there have been times when I, I would get, um, stellar design work done by someone with whom I didn't like the relationship or with oh, whom yeah. the deadlines weren't met or the, the budgets weren't hit. The quality sure. of the work was superb, but sure. I got to a point where I didn't care. I didn't want to come back sure. to that person. I wanted to yeah. keep looking and find the person who was better at the um, the relationship. Yeah. Um, and I was willing to sacrifice some of the design fireworks and sparks and magic in order to get some constancy. And I feel like that's come up in the other conversations I've had on this on this sales topic, where sales is uh -huh. sales are fed by previous uh, success and fed by by a strong uh, relationship foundation. Sure, sure. Now, I tell you, um, what I'd be curious is to, as we, you know, as you continue with the process, is, um, is talking about a, a much wider uh, a net, if you will, right, as uh, that I think all of us can throw. Because um, if you are on one side of the pond, right, and all of us are sitting there on a, on a, on a side of a pond, or we're all casting the same, you know, using the same fish poles. Mine might be red, yours might be blue. I'm thinking, with 
such a great support and community that EE has, uh, maybe we are sitting on this little tiny corner and there might be some other corners where we literally expand uh, the places that we fish, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm not sure what that is yet. Um, I think that's why it's great to have a community, but communities can be a little bit insular just by the nature of it. Uh, I think that's where I think some of us feel that, uh, you know, that the relationship with the Ellis Lab um, uh, still has uh, uh, some potential to do even better things uh, because of that. I mean, I look at Magenta, which we've been a part of for a long time, and, and I think part of their growth has been phenomenal, obviously. But if you look at what they've done, they've also had a lot of growing pains. Let's, you know, let's be honest about it. Um, much rougher bumps than I think we ever experienced in EE. Uh, but they're able to, I think, expand. I think part of it is because they were able to put together as a company, as the leader of the product and platform. Uh, what used to be called Variant from Magenta's side, we have Lab for our side. And there's, at some point, you know, part of that sort of tip of the spear has to do with expanding that corner where we're all throwing our fishing pole. Right. We could all spend our time, and we do, in improving our fixing pools, but at some point, that net has to just get wider. right? And uh, I think that's what Magento has done really successful. And that's why Magento, if you look at Magento vendors, I tell you, you have folks who's doing a Magento site for $2,000. You have a, a, and then you have a Magento vendors who do the same, uh, obviously not the same site, but that, that does work. That's only $100,000 and above. And it's the type of platform that can encompass anywhere in between. And I think EE has the potential to do that. Uh, obviously, we all know it's not there yet, but uh, uh, but I do. I still see a lot of potential. Well, I'm glad we had a chance to talk. You're um, you would, you're talking to me all the way from Korea. When are you coming back over to coming <laughs> back home? Yeah, uh, we're actually leaving, uh, coming back pretty soon uh, in early March. Uh, we have our a four-year-old puppy that's eagerly waiting our return. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we're getting back, and uh, uh, we're, we're going to go back and head back to our, our headquarters in, in Austin, uh, which we uh, moved from New York City about two years ago. We've been very happy. Uh, we miss New York, obviously, but uh, Austin's just an amazing town, and uh, we love being there. Uh, we're going to miss Seoul because all of our a lot of our families here and. And uh, a lot of our friends here, and the food's amazing. Um, so I've gained literally 15 pounds. In fact, we went on a diet, Mitchell, to lose 10 pounds before we come to Korea for the sole reason. <laughs> yeah, I, this is totally true, Mitchell. We literally went on a diet to lose 10 pounds because we knew that if we go here, we come to Korea, we're going to gain that and more, and we have uh, a mission accomplished. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're all kind of rolling along and uh, if we go any further we're going to have to buy an extra seat so you're going to go uh, back to Austin, Texas the weight loss capital of the world eh? yeah. <laughs> oh yeah the barbecue's going to all the barbecue's going to really help losing our be, weight. you better check your math on that one <laughs> that's right uh, that's right but, uh, but before I go Mitchell again I want to thank you for again for the, for the call I didn't know how uh, again I'm, I think I said that before again I, you know, we're Still a, a small player in the community, fairly new, uh, but I, I thank you for giving us the opportunity. I really respect um, a lot of folks in our in our community. I'm just just totally impressed by how welcome everyone is and how smart everyone is, and just thoroughly talented. And 
And that, that was confirmed when I went to the ECI and had a chance to, to stand with you and had a great chat over breakfast. And, and uh, even some of the developers that I met, you know, are, are just just terrific. And uh, um, so we're, we're super excited to be part of the community. And uh, again, thank you very much for, uh, for, for our talks and also uh, for this call and the interview. Well, I think you're right. I think the community is resilient. And uh, I mean, at this point, with everything it's gone through in the last few years, I'm starting to think it's bulletproof. And um, um, whatever criticisms I may have of the, the platform that we all use, um, the community itself is reason enough to, to have a great deal of faith. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thanks for like confirming that. it today. Yeah, and something that we talked about before, uh, you know, I, we still see a great support from all the community. We see more and more add-ons coming onto the market. Uh, and again, I think it's, uh, as long as the, the, the wider net is there uh, to become sort of be, be the platform that actually has a, a good running engine in it, I think all of us would, would do our job and, and continue. But again, thanks very much, Mitchell. I really had a lot of fun and uh, I, was, I hope I wasn't rambling too much, but it was fun going back a years and, and I also had a chance to talk with you again. Well, thank you, Jay. Sure. All right. Bye-bye. Take All care. Right. Thanks, Mitchell.